0: You see, God is never content with where we're at. We might get that way. We might be complacent and apathetic and indifferent and ho-hum, you know, and I'm just fine with status quo. I can just park and stay where I'm at right now. But God will never be, until He calls us home, content with where we're at, especially spiritually. He doesn't want us to get stagnant. And so oftentimes, He'll put us through His school and educate us in order to bring us to the next level.
1: The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving.
0: Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn way back to the beginning of the Old Testament and the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 37. We're going to talk about Joseph here for a few weeks, probably the next three weeks, some lessons from Joseph. And we're going to look at a couple of thoughts each week about his life and talk about how to overcome, how to come forth as gold. Here in Genesis chapter 37 and in verse number 1, it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren... They hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. Not a good start, is it, in life? Seventeen years of age and these things are stacked up against him already. But Joseph was able to overcome. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how to overcome. Let's pray before we begin. Now, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word, and we pray that as we look into the scriptures, you would speak to our hearts today, and you would teach and instruct us and show us how to overcome. Father, no doubt in a crowd this size, there are those who have been through battles, there are those who are going through battles, or those who will go through battles, and so help us to listen now with all of our heart, knowing that day will come when we'll need to know this and need to to know how to overcome, give us now grace. We pray and ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God is the ultimate teacher, and life is the ultimate classroom. And God doesn't need paid teachers. God doesn't need buildings like we'd have in our public education system. The courses that God teaches are not easy courses either. We talk about the School of Hard Knocks. When God has something to teach us, uh, sometimes we can go through the school of hard knocks. You see, God is never content with where we're at. We might get that way. We might be complacent and apathetic and indifferent and ho-hum, you know, and I'm just fine with status quo. I can just park and stay where I'm at right now. But God will never be, until He calls us home, content with where we're at, especially spiritually. He doesn't want us to get stagnant. And so oftentimes, he'll put us through his school and educate us in order to bring us to the next level. And such it is with the case of Joseph. Joseph was quite a fella here. His family was a mess, but Joseph was quite a guy. When it came to his family, I guess I would label it dysfunctional. And you may think you've come from a dysfunctional home, and you may know of a home that you say, boy, that's totally dysfunctional. But it would be hard to outdo the family that Joseph grew up in. His dad, there's a piece of work, Jacob. His very name means schemer or surplanter. And Jacob, from the time he was a kid, was always pulling a fast one. Yea, even in birth, he's tripping up his brother, grabbing his heel. As they got older, he was able to wrestle that birthright away from his brother. And in time, he even stole the blessing very deceitfully from his brother Esau. And Esau wanted to kill him. So here's Jacob now, and he's on the run. And he shows up there to a a relative by the name of Laban, marries the wrong daughter, not the one he thought he was getting. Now it's coming back on him. He's reaping what he sowed, and now he's being cheated, and he's being deceived. But he finally gets Rachel, the one he wanted, and a couple other ones to boot. And it was never God's will for him to have two wives and two concubines. God said from the beginning, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make it help meet for him. And the Bible tells us that God brought one woman and one man together, and that was his plan from the beginning. But here's, here's Jacob now, and he has four wives. And they're fighting. What would you expect? They're having cat fights, And it's a very tense home. And that's what Joseph is, is growing up in. The kind of house he's being raised in. But add to that, he had ten brothers. Half-brothers. And they all hated him. We read about it just a moment ago. They couldn't stand him. He had a half-sister by the name of Tamar. And we find out she's raped. His dad is passive about that. Jacob had a lot of issues. And we find out that his mother, uh, Rachel, was jealous with the other sister, Leah. And she was barren while Leah was having six boys. And and it bothered her. And finally, finally Joseph is born of Rachel. And And she calls him Joseph, which means basically add to me. The name means add to me. Rachel's saying, I want more. And God gives her one more by the name of Benjamin, but... She dies in childbirth. So now, Joseph loses his mother. You talk about a dysfunctional family. You think the deck was stacked against you, and maybe you did grow up in a hard environment. I'm not minimizing that, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a worse environment to grow up in than the one that Joseph grew up in. I mean, it was a sordid past. Everybody has a past, by the way. I'm looking at a sea of faces and I don't know your past, but everybody has one. And and most of the time there's some scars involved. Very few of us get into our adult life without some kind of emotional baggage, without some kind of scars. And so we come up the ranks, and here we are, and we're scarred up. And oftentimes the tendency might be to make excuses about it. Well, you don't understand. I had this kind of a past. Well, you'll never outdo the past that Joseph had. He was brought up very poorly. And yet, he made no excuses. He just rose to the top. And every time they threw lemons at him, he made lemonade. And every time they they threw him, he landed on his feet. You ever seen a cat do that? Joseph is a cat, in a sense. He just keeps coming down on his feet because he had the Lord on his side. And as the uh, singer just sung a moment ago, God makes no mistakes. And, and all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28. It, it's hard to find a more applicable life than Joseph's when you come to Romans 8.28. And so he was an overcomer. We can be an overcomer. But what did he have to overcome? Well, first of all, let's talk about his surviving abuse. And not just any kind of abuse, but one of the worst kind of abuses, and that is rejection. Joseph grew up with rejection. He is a great Old Testament example of somebody who was rejected. You think you've been rejected. You'll never outdo Joseph. In fact, you're not the only one to ever face rejection. We read in 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Rejection is very common to man. We all face rejection, but Christians, born-again Christians, are apt to face it that much more. Now, what kind of rejection did Joseph face, and why was he rejected? Well, the first strike he had against him was what I call favoritism. He was the favorite son. Have you ever experienced favoritism in your home? Maybe you grew up being the favorite child, or maybe it was one of your siblings. But really, it's not a wise thing to do. And and if you're a parent here today, be careful not to show favoritism. Notice in verses 3 and 4 of our text here, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. Didn't try to hide it too well, did he? Verse 4 says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You know, this all goes back to his mother, Rachel. Rachel was the favored wife. And so when she finally has a child, this is the the favored son now now here's jacob kind of passive anyway kind of docile anyway not really with it a kind of a, an observing kind of a dad really not a proactive dad and so he's got this child joseph after 10 kids he finds one that's finally easy to raise and, and parents here's the tendency you have a low maintenance one your heart might tend to go to that one but be careful Don't show that favoritism. You're going to destroy the relationships with the other kids. Be careful to maintain all of those relationships. But Jacob doesn't do that. It's so obvious here. He makes Joseph this coat of many colors, meaning many or diverse materials. Actually, dye was very expensive at that time. And to color something, I mean, that took some money. And so he he lays out this money. He buys this really extravagant coat for his son and... That coat also meant this son is not like the other boys. In fact, it wasn't a coat that you did manual labor in. If somebody was given a coat a like that by the boss, it denoted they're the foreman. And and I can't prove it biblically, but I suspect that Joseph was kind of over his brothers. And you say, well, he was only seventeen. It doesn't matter. He showed responsibility, the kind of responsibility that brought him to the top for the rest of his life. And his dad was no dummy. He recognized that, that leadership and those organizational skills. And so he, he saw this son with the most character and he gave him this coat. And in doing so, he said, you're the boss now. And so here he is, 17. He's already risen to the top. But his brothers hate him. Hate him. And they gang up on him. And they criticize him. They talk behind his back. So he's got this rejection because of favoritism. But secondly, because of righteousness. Righteousness. Notice in verse number two, it says these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, that was a concubine, she had two boys. And the sons of Zilpah, the other concubine, she had two boys, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. So here's these four boys and they're being wicked and Joseph tells on them. By the way, all 10 of those those half brothers, they had hearts of coal. They they were really wicked guys. You could take the oldest Reuben and and, and he committed uh, incest if you want to call it that with his half mother or stepmother. You've got Simeon and Levi, the next two boys, and they wipe out a whole village in their anger. They they commit murder. You got the next boy Judah, who actually has an illicit relationship with his daughter-in-law, and I mean it doesn't get any better from there. So you got all these rotten brothers here, and four of them are doing something evil. and We don't know what it is, but Joseph tattles on them. He goes to dad and he squeals on them. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't care for a tattletale. Do you parents like tattling? I mean, we, we discourage that in our family. And you say, look, what are you trying to get these guys in trouble? And the bottom line is, if, if a kid tattles, you want to look at the motive of the heart. Are they just trying to make themselves look better? Are they trying to make their candle burn brighter by blowing their sibling's candle out, that kind of a thing? What is the the motive? Are they trying to meet their own emotional need of feeling more righteous than their sibling? You want to really look at the motive here. And And young people, just remember that every time you point a finger at a sibling, three point back at you. So watch that tattling stuff. I am not advocating, tattling here. But apparently something serious was done here and there is a time if something serious is done and it's done in the right spirit, yeah, you got to let somebody know about this. Whatever it was, Joseph let dad know. I don't think he was gloating about it. I don't think he was gossiping about it. Uh, he went to the right authority. He went to dad. He wasn't blabbing it around to the sisters and the other brothers. I think he was discreet about it. I don't think he embellished it. I think he did everything right. But it was time for justice. And there is a time for justice. There is a time for mercy. I think Joseph was very merciful. But this was something bad. And he had a responsibility to tell the authority in charge. And that's even biblical. We read in Leviticus 5.1. And if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. This tells us there is a time to narc on them, if you will, to turn them in, yea, to tattle, whatever you want to call it here. I believe that Joseph knew his brothers were rotten and they weren't getting any better and they would simply self-destruct. So he didn't sweep it under the carpet he went, and I think he discreetly told, uh, told dad, but his brothers hated him for it. He was righteous, they weren't. And that was a strike against them. You know that evil people hate righteous people. In fact, they wish that, that you would be evil like them. I'm no doubt sure that Joseph's brothers here wish that he was evil like they were evil. Because evil doesn't like righteousness. Never forget that. First John three twelve mentions Cain who was of that wicked one, he is of the devil, and slew his brother, that's Abel, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. That's it. That's the only reason. Evil hates righteousness. It's like this thousand watt beacon light in their eyes that irritates them. And we find out here that Joseph was an irritant to his brothers. And you will be to the unsaved as well. If you're living righteously, it shouldn't surprise you if you get on the nerves of those who are living wickedly. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 4, 4, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them, to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. They go around, and you might not hear it, but it goes on, I'll guarantee you that. They speak evil of you. So Joseph had this strike of favoritism against them. He had this strike of righteousness against them. Thirdly, there was jealousy involved. Notice in verse 5, it goes on and says, And Jacob, or Joseph, dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and, lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And, behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance, or worshipped, my sheaf. And his brethren said unto him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, he should have quit while he was behind. But being 17, not the sharpest knife in the drawer just yet. And in verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obedience unto me. Well, that's a picture of his whole family, including mom and dad, now being in submission to him. Well, verse 10 says, And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? Now, did that happen eventually? Yes, it did. God was telling them in advance what would happen. But notice verse 11. And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. So here's this jealousy taking place. Joseph has had a dream. And you say, well, you know, Pastor, I had a dream. I wonder what it meant. Let me say to you, be careful to follow through on your dreams as though it's some message from God. I get this question asked to me quite a bit, have through the years here. You know, I had this dream, and is this God trying to tell me something? Well, we have something more sure than dreams today. And it's the word of God. 2 Peter 1:9 says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. That's the Bible. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place. Go to the Word of God. Get your instruction from the Word of God. Be careful about dreams and signs and so called visions and all that kind of thing. The just shall live by faith, the Bible says. In fact, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we go to the Word of God today to determine the will of God. But Back in the days of Joseph, he didn't have a Bible like we have. So here's a dream, and it's God trying to tell Joseph his future. I think about this. God has a future for all of us. Every person sitting here today, God has a future for you. And honestly, if we knew how how exciting it really is, we wouldn't be sitting around apathetic. We would be up on it. We really would be. There's an exciting future ahead for Joseph, just like there is for you, but The brothers are jealous of him. So there's this rejection because of jealousy. Fourthly, there's this rejection because basically there's just a sour atmosphere in that home. Sour relationships within that family here. You know, it's the people that are the closest to us that seem to rub us the wrong way. Isn't that the truth? You know, your your spouse or your kids or your parents, they're gonna be the sandpaper of life in your life. Your coworkers, your neighbors. It's the ones who are the closest to you. And, and 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 you're bound to get the most bitter at them. You know, we talk about peace and love and so on and so forth and, and loving the world and so on. Why don't you start with your siblings, okay? Why don't you start with your coworkers? That'd be a pretty good place to start. Those ones that you're closest to. And so we find out there's really friction in this family. It's not going away, it's snowballing, and eventually it surfaces. In fact, later on, notice in verse number 19, they're going to they're gonna get rid of Joseph. It says, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams." Notice they said the dreamer is coming. They didn't say that in reverence. They didn't say that in admiration. They said that in contempt. They're criticizing him. It's sarcasm here. They can't stand the guy. And they're talking behind his back and really what's down in their heart out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is speaking and they're cutting down Joseph from a distance. And again, if you're living righteously, I don't, I'm not trying to ruin your day, but they are talking behind your back as well. Your relatives, no doubt, talk about you when you're not around. Your coworkers, they probably talk about you when you're not around, you know? And your neighbors and your friends, so-called, they are talking behind your back like they were of Joseph. And notice here they said one to another in verse 19, Behold, this dreamer cometh, and they're talking poorly of him. Don't let that worry you. Don't let that bother you. Don't let that intimidate you. There are Christians who worry about such things. Oh, what are people going to think of me? What are they saying about me? The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Just, just trust God with that. Don't worry about what they're saying. Don't worry about what they're thinking. I'm not saying be purposely abrasive and, and get in their face, but I am saying if you're just doing right like Joseph was doing, And they start talking poorly of you. So what? Don't back down. Don't compromise. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And you can get snared in being concerned about what they're thinking about you. Folks, the key to it really is, what does God think of me? Right? What's God's opinion of me? That's really all that matters. You know, kids are famous for this. And young people, listen to me for a moment here. Don't worry about what you're your peers, your unsaved peers, or the worldly or the wrong peers are saying about you. Don't worry about what young people in the world are doing. That's not the pattern you follow. Don't even be concerned about that. If you are, it's showing where your heart is at, who you're trying to please, basically. If you have it right, you're going to try and please God. If you don't, you're going to cave in. Peter caved in. Peter said, Lord, you have my heart, I'll never deny you. And when the rubber met the road, and he had a little maiden girl challenge him on this, he caves in, doesn't he? I don't know the man. He's out there cussing and swearing and everything else. And, and pretty soon they're saying, okay, we believe you. No Christian would talk like that. Good night. The older you get in the Lord, the less you should worry about what they're saying about you. The longer I'm saved, the, the, the less I care about that. I would never get anything done if I stopped to, to worry about what people are thinking. As as I try and serve the Lord. As long as the father is satisfied. That's all I'm saying. That's really all that matters. Well, it finally came to a head for Joseph here. And they get him alone. They're going to kill him. They take his coat away as to strip him of his authority there. And then they sit down and, and they have lunch as they discuss killing him. Notice in verse number 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Now notice verse 25. And they sat down to eat bread. Can you imagine? They sat down to have lunch while they discussed killing their brothers. How wicked could these guys be? How evil could they be? Rotten to the core. And all the while, Joseph from the pit is begging for mercy. He's screaming, he's crying out. Now it's not written in this passage, but over in chapter 42 and verse 21, we find out when, they're, when, when the shoe was on the other foot and the, the, the older brothers were going through a hard time, they said, this is God's judgment on us. We heard his voice crying from that pit and we didn't care. So we know what was going on while they are eating their lunch. Joseph is begging for mercy. Well, in verse 25, it says, and they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. And so they, sell Joseph into slavery, which really could have been a fate worse than death. Now, how would you have responded at this point? And I need to ask that. I mean, obviously, there's an injustice being done here. When we have injustices done to us in the 21st century here in America, well, we get indignant, don't we? We get enraged. How dare they do that to me? Yeah, I've been to uh, a Holocaust museum two, three times before, and I've, I've looked firsthand at the injustices that were done to the Jewish people during World War II. And it was absolutely horrible. You know, here we are as 21st century Christians, and, and we get offended and mad and, and leave if some little thing happens to us. What's that going to say at the judgment seat of Christ for us? You know, we get gypped out of a few bucks and is that's it, I'm, I'm just, whatever it might be. We're just seething, having a pity party. But here's Joseph, and I don't read anything in the future chapters, about him uh, getting overcome with, with the rejection he has here and getting bitter about it. doesn't do that. Joseph in the Bible is a picture of Jesus Christ. There are many pictures of Christ in the Bible. And we can learn some things as we connect the dots between the two. When it comes to Jesus Christ, he was reviled by his foes. That means his enemies. They rejected him. We read in John eight forty eight. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, See we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. They're saying you're a half Jew. You're, you're illegitimate. And they're, they're accusing Mary of, of uh, immorality here. And that was the rumor that followed Jesus through life. Say we not well you're a Samaritan. And I add to that, hast a devil? You're demon possessed. That's what his enemies said about him. But the Bible tells us of Christ in 1 Peter 2.23 that when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Now, folks, that's hard to do. I haven't always done that. When you're reviled, the tendency is to revile again. Not to commit it to the Lord, not to trust God. And I've messed up at times, and you have as well, but not Jesus Christ. As long as he was pleasing the Father, that's all that mattered. So he was reviled by his foes, but secondly, he was rejected by his family. You know, there are times when they, they said, He's beside himself. He's nuts. we got to bring him home here. He's gone over the top. Or there were times when his brothers said, Look, if, if, if you're such a big deal, you know why don't you go to that feast and, and show yourself? And, and the Bible tells us in John 7, 5, Neither did his brethren believe in him. Jesus had several brothers and, and, and a few sisters. And they didn't even believe in him. So he was rejected by his family. But thirdly, he was rejected by his friends. His closest friends who said, We'll never betray you, we'll be there in your hour of need, you can count on us. We read in Mark 14:50 they all forsook him and fled. Jesus Christ set his face like a flint and he just kept going. He overcame the rejection. And in Hebrews 4.15, it tells us, We have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we can't say, well, he, he was God though. It's not the same. No, he was man. And when they rejected him, he felt the same rejection that we feel, but he was able to overcome. He kept on going. He didn't worry about what the crowd was doing. He wasn't intimidated. He didn't get sidetracked. You know, you and I, we we worry too much sometimes about what the world is doing, about being politically correct, about keeping in step with them, when really all we need to worry about is being right with God. And really, that's the difference between obedience or disobedience. Who are we trying to please? When it comes to whether we obey or disobey, it's really a matter of who has our heart, God or the world. You know, we all battle this fear of man thing. That's why we don't witness the way we should. What are they going to think of us? You know, that kind of thing. We fear rejection, but we should be able to overcome it. Joseph was an overcomer. He, first of all, survived abuse. But secondly, he sidestepped allurement. He was able to sidestep temptation and the worst kind, seduction. Seduction by a woman here. Joseph passed his first test with flying colors. Good for him. But what about temptation? Yeah, that's, a, that's another beast, isn't it? And how do we do when we're tempted? Now, we all have different areas of temptation. May I be honest with you? I'm not tempted by alcohol. I'm not tempted to get drunk. I haven't, I haven't touched booze in decades. It doesn't interest me whatsoever. Bars don't interest me. Honky tonks, dancing around with drunk people, it doesn't do a thing for me. You know, <laughs> I got better things to do with my time, better things to do with my money. There's no temptation there. Cussing's not a temptation for me. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it's it's not something. Well, you slipped. It doesn't unless I've been around Brother Dennis too much. But uh, I mean, otherwise, it's really not a temptation. I'm just telling you, it's not something I struggle with. Money, not a big deal. Materialism. I'm trying to get rid of stuff. Okay. Never had time for that anyway. Fame? No, I'd rather crawl under a rock most days. There are certain things that just don't interest me. But come up close. Let me tell you what my temptation is. Are you crazy? I'm not going to tell you what it is. We all have our temptations though, don't we? We really do. We all have our Achilles heel. You know what that is from the old Greek folklore? You know that, that vulnerable spot. Here's Joseph, and he's going to be tempted sexually. Look in chapter 39. There's a little episode that's kind of a parenthetical chapter in, in, in the, the chapter in between. But as we skip to Genesis chapter 39, we read in verse number number 1, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the, or bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught that he had, save or except the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wadeth or knoweth not what is with me in the house. And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. Here we find Joseph now falsely accused, and basically, having rejected the wife of Potiphar, he's in trouble. And hell knoweth no, no wrath like a woman's scorn. He scorned this wicked woman. But the devil was trying to get to Joseph through temptation. We read in 2 Corinthians 2:11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan is a, a master fisherman. He really is. And he uses all kinds of deadly hooks to get us. And he has our carnal nature working on his behalf as well as the carnal nature of the whole world. So here we are, these three strikes against us and all these temptations coming our way. Now the Bible tells us in James 1.13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God doesn't tempt us, but God does allow temptation into our life and you say why to grow us up to grow us up if we don't pass the test if we flunk it's not God's fault we messed up you know the Bible tells us that God does test his kids to the sense of trying to grow them up And, and if you're a wise parent by the way you can shelter your kid from every temptation but in the process you may stunt their growth and when you turn them loose they might have all kinds of trouble you know, your kids aren't perfect. My kids aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But I'd rather have them make those mistakes under my roof than outside of my roof. And so allow them, like God, to enable us to grow through these trials in life, if you will. We find out in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God will allow us an out. Now, sin, temptation comes in all kinds of forms. Pride, selfishness, and uh, wanting the limelight, and and stubbornness, and gossip, and and pleasure, and, and covetousness, and whatever else it might be. But with God's help, the victory is possible. It's possible. God wants us to be more like Him, and He will do what He has to do to bring us through those steps, to grow us up, to make us more like Him. And we find here God working in the life of Joseph. There's a reason God puts these stories in the Bible. They're not for us to just read and, oh, that was a good story. The emphasis is always on the people. What can we learn from the people? Romans 15, 4 says, Whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. As we look at lives like His, it gives us hope. God worked in their lives. And many of them, like Joseph, responded, right, and God can do the same in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition on whom the ends of the world are come. Here we are, we're living in the last days. And so careful not to read through the stories of the Bible too quickly here. Actually, God wants us to get something out of it. Think about those characters. Put yourself in their sandals. And, and, and they made mistakes, yes, but they saw the mercy of God they made it through. They made it through. God entrusted Joseph here to do something that was incredible. Basically, to save the posterity of a, of a little nation in its infancy at that time. A nation that would swell and grow into millions. And eventually, the Messiah would come through that nation. And Joseph, because God brought him through the school of hard knocks, was able to one day oversee the world, if you will, And where'd this character come from? Was it the the, the silver spoon? No. Was it this exemplary family? Ha, that's a good one. No, it came because these trials came into his life and he was able to overcome. He made no excuses. He was responsible. He was diligent. And God brought him up the ranks and promoted him because he was an overcomer. Now, what about us? Are we overcomers? The Bible says that whatsoever is born of God overcometh The world. Have you been born of God? Have you had a time in your life when you were born again the Bible way? Because victory over temptation starts with the Spirit of God living inside of us. It's called salvation. And can you point to a time in your life when you were saved? You were born again. God took up residence within you. And that power that raised Christ from the dead now resides within you and enables you to have the victory. If you've never been saved the Bible way... You can know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. You can have a salvation that will change your life and one that you'll never lose. Do you have that kind of salvation? And if you're here today and you are saved, let me just say, be faithful in the little things because that's where it started with Joseph. He was faithful from the beginning and, and he was responsible from the beginning. And God brought him up the ranks and made him the head of everything. But right now, we see him going through this school and it's the school of hard knocks. But it made him the great Christian that he was. And by God's grace, may we allow God to work on us and help us to overcome.
1: You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skebbing of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again. Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.